Hey, you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, if you're new with us, I'm Jeff. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Mariner's Mission Viejo. Really glad that you're with us and uh, glad that you chose to be here this weekend. Um, this, is gonna, this is a great weekend to be here. Um, there's a couple of little things we do that are kind of traditional in nature. For those of you who've been with us before, you might recognize some of what we're going to do today. Um, but it is, it is the weekend before everything goes crazy. Am I right? I mean, this is like the last moment of pause. It's the last moment before everything we know about how things are supposed to go goes out the window and people start shopping and running people over with shopping carts and all that kind of stuff. So really glad you're here. Um, past couple, as Kim mentioned, we had Rooted um, graduation this past weekend on, on Friday night. And Rooted is our 10-week experience, kind of giving you the DNA of our church, but also gives you kind of a sense of who you are, you know, who's, who God has made you to be, how to connect in community, give you a sense of purpose. Anyway, it's, it's, it is, you know, one of the most transformational kind of experiences people have. It's something we've seen change the life of our church. And um, being there on, on Friday night watching people get baptized is one of those things where you go, oh, this is, this is, this is the most beautiful symbol of life transformation. It was so good. And I, okay, so here's what happened. Kim talked about it, and there was like one person, Kira, was like, woo, like that. Everybody else was like, that must be nice for them. Here's the deal. That's it. I don't want to try to dictate when we should applaud, but that's a moment. So I'm just going to say rooted baptisms are awesome, and then you just need to spontaneously applaud, okay? So Friday night, I was at the Irvine campus. All five campuses were there. We had rooted baptisms. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Yeah, you guys get it. See, perfect. All right. So it was great. It was so fun. Um, also, last couple of weeks, we had Doug Fields here, who was unbelievable. I mean, just to hear, yeah, you can woo for that too. Yes, go. People, I mean, people were talking about what he had said. God had really used some of the, the teaching that he had over the past couple weeks to really impact us as we talked about the series that we're in called Obsessed. I have to tell you, people always ask me like, hey, are you a little worried that like Doug's speaking? Because he's, he's, he's pretty good. And I go, <laughs> I, go I, I haven't slept since, we've, since our friendship began. I just always am worried. I'm so grateful to Doug. You know, he's my mentor. He's one of my best friends. And, you know, I love when people talk about how great their past couple experiences of being here at church are. And if, um, if you're new, if you decided, well, I'll try that other guy who's usually here. If you came just for Doug, well, I'm the other guy. And so I'm glad you're here. Um, but we're in a series called Obsessed. And we're looking at sort of the idea of what is it that our hearts or our minds are focused on, preoccupied with, probably be a better word for it, what have we built our lives around that might actually compromise who we are intended to be? All of us could point to some things in our lives that we go, yeah, I've built my life around some stuff, and I'm not sure it's the best idea for that thing. You know, culturally, we're about to enter one of our most obsessed times of the year. You know, it's, we have this time where we go, it's so great to all be together, and then we all of a sudden go shopping, and everything we thought about being great with each other, it just starts to just unwind. You know, it's, um, there's this one sort of common denominator realize for people at Christmas is almost everybody says coming into Christmas between Thanksgiving and Christmas they, they all say this and you probably said this too when you get to Christmas morning you get to that moment and you go we're definitely going to do this differently next year <laughs> whatever it is that you did this year you're going to try and do it differently and then you'll get to like December 23rd and go we did everything exactly the same <laughs> next year is going to be the year and there's another common denominator it's this that the center of all of these things that we're obsessed about and all of our craziness and everything else, the one thing that's the common denominator is us. <laughs> it's ourself. You know, Doug spent a lot of time over the past couple of weeks talking about this whole notion of the idea of being obsessed has to do with our own hearts, the condition of our own hearts. Uh, um, Mark writes this in his gospel. He says this, for what comes out of, for, uh, out of a, like we need to get that on the screen. There we go. One, a little bit more to that. There we go. 
Uh, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Now, listen to this list of which, you know, Mark writes, or what Jesus says about, right here, about the things that are obsessed. Listen to this, these obsessions. Check this out. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay. All of those things point to, point to something about people being obsessed. It points to the idea that things are really starting within us and that the real work that has to happen in all of the, we want to blame the entire world for everything else that's going on, but the truth is this. It is within us that we have to start and deal with all of this. It's what we've been talking about this whole series. And so as we jump into today, I want to give you a, a sense of something is, you know, I think a lot of us want to get out of this scenario. We're looking for a way to do things differently. And I want you to know that today is going to be incredibly simple but it will not be easy to put into your life. It is going to be incredibly simple. You're going to go, I didn't need, need to come to church to hear that today. I could have told that guy that, that other guy who's not Doug. Me. I could have told that guy that that's exactly what I need in my life, but the actual placing it into your life will take discipline, will take hard work, and I'm going to give you some small steps to start in that, but it's going to be difficult, all right? Are you ready? One person is ready in that room. Are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. Let's pray and we're going to get into this. So here we go. Pray up good. Here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful. Even when we don't feel it, we are grateful. Even when we don't want to be, we are grateful. Lord, we can find things by which we can orient ourselves around that, have, that take us away from, that rob us, that destroy gratitude. And yet, Jesus, we pray today that you would orient us around gratitude. Jesus, I know as Kim mentioned already this morning in the announcements that there is a lot of folks in this room whose marriages are struggling, who are missing family members that were here last year, who are looking at this year with a lot heavier heart than they had intended when they started out this year. And so Jesus, would you draw close to them would you help them in some capacity beyond the way that we know how? We don't want to make light of anything that's serious. Help us to have compassion for each other and help them find a way, even in the midst of struggle and difficulty, to find gratitude. Jesus, as we already mentioned, this is a time in the year when there is so much pace and there is so much being demanded of us. And so for a moment... One of the only remaining moments of sanity we'll have <laughs> over the next 40 days, we pause in silence and stillness because we need it. And so, Jesus, we give you a moment to sit quietly, to hear from you. Jesus, grow in us gratitude. Create in us a character of thankfulness. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, you can turn. If you brought your Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings 21. If you, want to, uh, if you want to follow along in your outline, you can pull that out. It's in your bulletin. You can watch on the screen as well of everything you need. But we're going to take a look at this. Now, if we're talking about, there's, if there's ever a time to consider 
the idea that there's an obsessed culture in America, now's the time. I saw this quote. I'm sure it's from someone really famous. America, where people trample each other for sales exactly one day after being thankful for what they already have. I think that's Ben Franklin. I'm not sure. But it, it's, it, it, there is something about us and this time in our life in which we're so wrapped up in some things, people will spend more in the next 40 days on gifts than they do in the rest of the year combined. Absolutely, without question. There is so much insanity that's about to hit us. And we all know it and we're all bracing for it and all trying to figure out how to avoid it and what are we supposed to do and how do we navigate it and all that stuff. Now, as we start buying things, as we start considering that, some of you are already done and nobody likes you. But there's a lot of you who are, who are going to be thinking about buying all these gifts and doing all this stuff. I just want you to consider something. One of the kinds of gifts that tends to get our attention these days is something called impulse buys. Impulse buy is something where you, you didn't intend to buy it necessarily, but you either make up a reason why you need it, or you figure out that someday you might need it, or it just has a real flashy name or whatever it is that you just go, I probably need that. And it's, it's, a, it's a personal fan that I just grab, and it's right in there next to the gum and the batteries. I needed a personal fan. It's a little tiny fan. I just zzz, I put my tongue on it. Does it hurt? Uh, it doesn't hurt. Hey, kids. You, I mean, it's like you just try all these stupid things that you have no need for, but you try, you buy them because they're a dollar or a dollar oh nine, whatever. We all do this. Targeted, you know, past couple years now has their like one spot. Now it's like the one or the five or the two spots. It's like they kind of have expanding what they think you'd be willing to impulse buy. There is something about that all of these things have in common, which is, you know, generally there's this, there's a couple of things. One of them is we don't need them. And so what I have tried to begin to, you know, have you ever gotten home with one of the, let me ask you, ask you this. I'll do it this way. What is an impulse buy that you got home and went, why do I have this? Just name one. Anybody have one besides a micro fan? What else? A flashlight. You know what? You never can have enough of those. A uh, flashlight, and uh, there's, uh, you know, an earthquake could happen, and uh, I might need a flashlight to duck under, right? Okay, good. What else? Water bottle. Just like an extra thing of water. I just need one. I'm thirsty. I should hydrate. That's why I need this extra water right here, and we'll sit in my car and then turn into like cancer water because if you leave it in the sun or whatever, we, and then, we, then we're like so thirsty, and we just go, I shouldn't drink that. Kids, do you guys need water? That's what we all kind of do. <laughs> What else is an impulse buy that you later thought, what, why in the world do I have that? A food processor. Wow, for a dollar. It just, <laughs> you know, there it is next to the gum. I'll, what's that? Oh, good listening. That's okay. No, that's all right. I think that's actually, if you, you just must be exorbitantly wealthy next to the gum and then the food processor. Anything else that you bought? You thought, why did I have this? What? One more time. Candy bar, yes, candy bar. No, you need those. Those are good. You need those. Anything else? Coffee mug. Yes, like I was in Marshall's the other day. Marshall's is the ultimate impulse buy land. It's like, I, I don't, you know, even if you don't have a dog, you're like, I probably need that for my dog. And there's a yoga mat. And there's a commuter mug. And there's a little cute mug for a teacher. I don't have any more teachers. But you just start acquiring things. Pretty soon you're $40 and all this nonsense. Now, the common denominator of those things is all that you all don't need them. You literally go, I don't need this. And you look at yourself and your spouse looks at you and goes, why did you buy that? And you go, I don't know. It was right next to the food processors and I just bought one. I don't know what it is. <laughs> all of these things, these, these impulse buys have a couple things that they kind of, kind of point back to. And that they're based on the idea that if I don't get the deal right now, if I don't take it right now, then it will be gone and I've lost it forever. There's this sense that I don't have enough and I have to get it right now. This, the Bible calls this, or we might know this is a broader term. The term is scarcity. There's just not enough, so I got to get it right now, even if I don't need it. I might one day need it. I might one day have a dog. That's why I bought these dog treats. 
but I have to have it right now. Now, this kind of thinking is all throughout the Bible. It's this kind of thinking you see God kind of going, are you guys sure you want to act that way? All the time. And there's a story in 1 Kings. It's not a really well-known story, but it's one that kind of captures the essence of what we're about to walk into. It's a story of a king named Ahab. Maybe you've heard of him and a guy who lives next door to him. Check this out. This is 1 Kings 21. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So there's this king, and there's next to him is this vineyard. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. Now you have to understand, in the ancient world, when a king, in the Canaanite kings, this area, for the Canaanite kings, all the peoples that live in this land, they can just take whatever they want because everything belongs to the king. Now, in the Israelite community of people, it is not that the king owns everything. God owns everything, and their understanding is that then every person has been given a plot of land, or a, the tribe has been given land, and it is for them to steward as the manager, not to own. So it's to prevent people from taking stuff that doesn't belong to them, even powerful people like kings. So the king is asking this guy, hey, my, you know, your vineyard's right next to mine, my, my garden, and can I just have yours, and I'll pay for it, or whatever. Naboth says this, Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Meaning this is the land given to his, his own people that's supposed to last for a really long time, to go on and on and on for generations that God has given to people like him so that they're never without land. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Oh, <laughs> Did you not get the vineyard that you wanted? I mean... This is the essence of a spoiled brat. I mean, really. This is the person who has more wealth and more access to anything else in the land of anybody else. And he asks a guy who's got his neighbor, he goes, hey, would it be cool? Could I have your land? And the guy says, well, I really can't because it's kind of sworn to me to protect for my ancestors and everybody else. I'm sorry, I won't do that. And then he goes into his bed and has a little pouting fit and doesn't eat and gets all kind of, you know, over the, over the top or whatever. Now, there is this thing that starts to burn inside of Ahab. There's a kind of appetite and obsession, if you will, that starts to form in him. And he starts to consider something. Because what he starts saying is that the one thing I need is the one thing I can't have. I'm a king. I got all this wealth and influence and everything else. But there's one little vineyard that I want that's next to my land. And I want it and I can't have it. It's the one thing I need. I have everything else, but there's one thing I don't have, and I need it. See, I think most often for us, we start looking at advertising sort of MOs, what they're trying to figure out how to do is not necessarily to convince you of the worth of a product or a service, whatever else it might be. More so what they might actually be trying to do is to tell you or to give you the kind of vague picture, maybe in some cases very literal picture, of what your life might be like if you don't have their product. That the absence of whatever they're trying to sell you might actually be more compelling than the idea of the product itself. And here's, here's Ahab going, I really want that vineyard, but I can't have it. So his wife notices him. Here's what she says. His wife Jezebel came and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He says, he answered, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, 
sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. So sorry. Now, at this moment, Jezebel is about to ask the most important question we can be faced with during this season. She asks him a question that so shapes and indicates the depth of his own heart. It's the question we all have to wrestle with during this time. It's the one, now however you it is, however it is that you interact with this question determines so much of how you will encounter the next 40 days of your life. Before we get to that. There's Ahab looking at this land. He wants it really badly. He doesn't get it. And so he starts having this little fit. The other day I'm watching, um, I'm watching TV with my, uh, with my son and an ad for Toys R Us comes on. And he's like, Dad, as only a six-year-old can say, Dad, I want to go to there. We should go to that place, Dad. I'm like, really? Why? Look at it. I mean, it's like, there's, look at all that stuff. And I go, that's the land of tears, son. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> Have you ever, honestly, have you ever not been, if those of you have ever gone into that place, have you ever not seen at least four children in a complete total meltdown? <laughs> it's like, who does that to themselves? Don't grandmas and grandpas think it'll be so fun, we'll take the kids to Toys R Us and we'll just go crazy. Yeah, you're going to go crazy, all right. It is insane. People are falling down, kids slapping the ground, <laughs> punching their grandma, kicking over bikes. I mean, it's like, it's insane. I'm like, we're not going there. And he's like, I don't get it. I'm like, because you'll, you'll act like Ahab. You really will. I didn't get everything I wanted. No kidding. Everything's super. I mean, they just, it's, it's just choice overload for these poor kids. Because everything that, the one thing that they want is the one thing they can't have. I want a bike, but I really want that motorized go-kart with a Nintendo backpack built into it or whatever, whatever it is. It's like, you can't have that. Well, that's all I wanted. All I wanted. Right. And they throw a fit and they break down and all that kind of, now Ahab's no different. He's in his room. He's not eating. He's sullen and he's just laying down. He's all sad. And his wife's like, what do you want to do? And so she, he, she sees him like this. And she asks this question. As I got to turn this back on now. There we go. Jezebel's wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? In other words, what she's, another way to sort of phrase this is this. In, the, in the, one of the older translations of the Bible, it says it like this. Dust thou govern the kingdom of Israel, or in some more, more current translations, aren't you the king? Literally, aren't you the king? Are you not the king of Israel? Meaning, kings should have this stuff. You don't think, that, why, why, why in the world would you let this one person, this guy Naboth, have his way? Aren't you the king? Is this how the king acts? Sort of sullen and sad because he didn't get what he wants? No, the king takes stuff. Here's what she says. Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. You're the king. You should have everything you want. And we're faced with that exact same question right now. Because we have seen the ads. And we have begun to wonder. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of an important person. I probably, I mean, if I don't get those things, I won't be sad. But I'll, I mean, I may not eat ever again. But I, you know, it's just, just, there's a little bit of us that starts to go, am I the king? Am I the queen? Don't I deserve? And it points us to this one word. It's the one thing that ruins people in power. 
It's the one thing that actually can undermine everything we're all trying to hope avoid in the next few weeks. It's this word, entitlement. We need to put that on the screen. Can we put switch cameras? Because I need them to see that out there. Do, 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 do. What if I walk over? There we go. That. (laughs) Entitlement. It is a word that says, I have access to things because I'm me. I should have that stuff because I know how I, I deserve, I ought to have. And it is the one thing that will inhibit you from gratitude. It will ruin people of gratitude. Entitlement. This is how the king acts. Now you could say, real quickly, you could say, just let me ask you real quick. Do this fast. What, what makes a good gift giver? Just, look, just go, say it real loud. Generosity, What? thoughtfulness come on think about it. you all want a gift if that person gets it for you how do you know how are they going to know what personalized. personalized it's specific what else what's that i told they listen to you and you told them this is what i want right exactly i was specific i gave you the list how'd you get this wrong right i know you told me you wanted this but i gave you this stuffed bird instead I didn't want a stuffed bird, I know, but I thought your heart needed it. Okay, you're wrong. Okay, right. Because they listen to you say stuff and they get you what you need. Now, when you think about a good, a good gift giver, listen to this one. This is Jezebel. She has listened to her husband. She has heard what he said. She's very specific. She's aware of her needs and she's willing to go to great expense. Here's what she says. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city within him with him in those letters she wrote proclaim a day of fasting and and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people okay so far so good then she says this but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he's cursed both God and the king then take him out and stone him to death now that is a good gift giver she is willing to go (laughs) all kinds of extremes now the word two scoundrels in other translations has the word two worthless men. One translation has the word uh, men without honor. In other words, get some people we can buy to lie about you know, Naboth, saying he did some stuff he didn't do, uh, you know, but make him say this. Not only did he, did he say some stuff against, against God, but he said some stuff against the king who's sad. He's lying in his bed and he, he, you know, he's sad. Can we just make sure that they know that? And then take him out and kill him. That's kind of the response that she's got. Now, that's a good gift giver. She is indulging in the entitlement of her husband. And so there's this moment, this whole thing in the, under this guise of religious pretense. We'll have everybody fast and act like it's this big Jesus moment, this big holy moment. And then we'll bring charges against this person. We'll have two witnesses. You have to have two because the, the Hebrew Bible says you can't have one witness. You've got to have two people there. So just find two worthless people and ask them to just lie about him. And then we'll kill Naboth. Here's what happens. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but for emphasis, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. He got everything he wanted. She gave him what he wanted. And there's one curiously absent thing in this story it's the one thing that ahab can't find 
The one thing that he can't find in the story, he can't seem to produce for his wife, who did this incredibly bizarre, sociopathic, but really specific good gift kind of thing. The one thing he can't find, there's no record of it in the story, is him saying one thing. Thank you. There's no gratitude. You see, an entitled person is a person who cannot possibly express gratitude because everything that they've been given is something they deserve because they're entitled to it. He doesn't say, thank you, Jezebel. I really, this is really thoughtful. I know you've been hearing the hints I've been putting on. I know it was a little bit dramatic, but thank you for hearing those things. And wow, nothing. There's no gratitude because he deserves it all. And if he can't have what he really wants, then that's just a marker of injustice. I'm, this is just so unfair. I wanted this and I didn't get it. There's no gratitude. He can't find the words to be thankful. And there's no need to be thankful because he's the king. He's supposed to have everything. He's entitled. Now, we're coming up on Christmas. And, you know, this is, some of this might sound familiar to some of you guys. You're going to have, for those of you with little kids, there's a nightmare moment that's approaching your life. It is one of the saddest moments of your life. It is one of the most, I've actually tried to train my children against this, and it still does not work, despite my superior parenting skills. Okay? There's a moment, and you know it's, you can feel it on Christmas Day. Your kids will be sitting around a mountain of toys, things you have spent hours trying to unscrew, that, the darn little attachment things on the back of those things, the stupid you say words you're not supposed to on Christmas morning. Jesus, all about Jesus. But I'm, I'm. One second. I know you want me to put this together. It'll just take me another four hours. Just go have some more eggnog or just put yourself in the fire or something. I mean, you know, you just, you just work on this. I mean, it just takes forever to put all these things together. There's going to be a mountain of stuff. There's going to be more wrapping paper than you've ever seen. And the kids will look at someone in the room and they will say the most horrifying thing. Is that all? (laughs) And whether or not you believe in corporal punishment at that moment, you will consider it in a new light. Because they will say, is that all? And you'll go, is that that all? (laughs) We're broke. (laughs) Is that all? And they'll say it and they'll look at you like, well, I was just asking. I mean, I, I got a lot. This all just kind of had a rhythm going here. It was like presents and crazy. And I know we're supposed to take turns, but I opened a few and I wasn't supposed to. Whatever you do. You know, and you're like, we're, everybody, we're burning these. Throw all the presents in the fire. Every single one of them. I don't care if they're plastic and toxic. We're done. Get out. We're going to read Luke 2 again. Everybody sit down. <laughs> Is that all? Now, no one tells a kid By the way, last year I had like, I sat my three kids down. I was like, now listen, grandma and grandpa are going to give you awesome presents. And the one thing you cannot say is that, oops, is that. You can't say that. All you get to say is, thank you so much. That's it. You can say it as robotic as you want, but you can't say that. And I sat them all down. We had this big conversation. And sure enough, my youngest son, is that all there is? He sleeps outside now with, you know, and it's like, he deserved that. 
Now, no one tells a kid, okay, when you get all these presents, then you're going to turn to look at your you know, parents and your grandma, whoever's there, and you're going to say, is that all? No one tells them to say that. They just know it. It's part of who they are, which means entitlement is already in us. It's already in us. Nobody has to teach us to be entitled. We just are. That's our default condition. Nobody taught my kids how to, nobody teaches your kids how to do that. It's in us already. We're entitled people. It's not learned. It's just there. Now remember, stay with me. An entitled person can't possibly express gratitude because there's nothing to be grateful for because everything they've been given is something they already deserve. So then, an unthankful person points to an entitled, to an entitled person. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, he writes this, this he kind of in the first chapter, he kind of writes about the demise of human beings, essentially. It's really kind of crazy. And here's what he says. For since the creation of the world, this is verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So everybody can see that God's somewhere out there. Uh, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Everybody can know, at least in some degree, there's got to be some possibility of God. That's what he says. Then he says this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, here's what he's saying. He's about to go down a road of the way in which people enter their demise about worshiping idols they've created and kind of giving themselves over to their own lust of the flesh, all kinds, it just starts to spiral bad. But the first thing that goes, giving thanks to God. People begin to feel their own entitlement that they don't even need God at all and they start to spiral out of control. Entitled people, which is everyone in this room, they have these kinds of traits. Maybe you can connect to some of these. These are people who are easily agitated. That when things don't go exactly as they ought, they just start flying off the handle. That, that's a little personal for me. I'm, I'm one of those people. These are people, who, uh, these are people who, who find celebration difficulty for other people. Someone has a great success and all they can think of is, even though they might fake it through gritted teeth, that's so wonderful for you. These are people who are excellent at blame. You were, if you're here with us the past couple weeks, people who are entitled are skilled in the art of envy. These are people who deserve everything, as they've already said, and they become their own king, an entitled king at that. Next week, we're going to start sort of looking towards Christmas, the season called, you know, Advent. This is a time, Advent's just a word that means arrival, and it's the anticipation of the arrival of Jesus, which points us to a king that is not us. The author of Hebrews says it this way, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I, this is our church verse last year. Can I this is no better verse to describe what's about to happen for the next 40 days than trying to run it with perseverance. Am I right? And then there's this other part of it. Not just surviving the crowds, but fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Listen to this kingly attitude he has. Enduring the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
the next few, this is a little bit of an aside, the next few weeks we will focus on that king, which is not us. You see, entitled people take, take sort of this picture of the whole idea of being a king and they own it on themselves and say, everything that's out there I should have. But we don't get to have everything and we don't deserve everything. And there is a king and it's not us. So what do we do? You know, this is us acting at our worst, is acting entitled. What do we do? What does it look like? How do we unentitle ourselves, so to speak? The act, like I said, is incredibly simple. It is not easy always, but it's simple. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is a big challenge. We, have, we understand the idea of giving thanks in some circumstances. We understand the idea of giving thanks when we hit all the green lights on Crown Valley. Oh, God is so good. He's big and wonderful. When you hit all the red lights, you know, Satan's really kind of moving at us this today. I mean, whatever, you know, like kind of give thanks in all circumstances. There are lots of difficult circumstances people face. You are in this room probably because at some point in your life you thought, I can't make it on my own. These are situations in which you go, when you're in hospital rooms, when you're by the graveside, when you're sitting at, a, when you're sitting at, the, at the table with your family and there's someone who's supposed to be there who isn't there, that's when you feel it. When you're sitting across from someone who you've been married to for a long time and the te- there's so much tension in the air and everybody knows it, it is so hard to do this. It's simple, but it's really hard. Give thanks in all circumstances. We've been in circumstances that don't merit thanks. But, oops, skipped. Oh, shoot, I put it in the wrong spot. Darn it. There we go. I've been off for two weeks, you guys. And I screwed that up. There we go. Okay. Thank you. Bring it back. Here we go. Thank you. Give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. When when you don't, when I do this wrong, thank you, God. So good. You're big and huge. Okay. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When people, you know, people who have been around church for a long time, especially around college age, if, you know, high school students kind of start getting a little older and they're like, they get to college and they're like really get philosophical and they start going, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. How grateful are you? (laughs) That's it. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Because there's something about thankfulness. There's something about gratitude which does something to our hearts which nothing else can do. Nothing. Now, the world wants us to believe that there is stuff we can buy to make us find purpose and meaning and hope and all of that kind of stuff. There is this belief in the world that this is what has to happen. There's a sense that says, if I could only have it, then I'd be happy. Some of us have heard people say at times, if it makes you happy, you know, I, I just, if I could have, I would make me happy. I was at an airport one time, we were going to a conference. And, you know, it, it seems like all kinds of, everything you normally do just gets kind of a little bit, it gets weird in an airport. Like, you know, I probably need to buy four magazines at $12 a piece. 
and I'm going to need to have a lot of candy. I don't eat candy, but I need a lot of it. And I'm we're right across from one of those airport McDonald's, and someone goes, someone goes, do you need a Big Mac? Not do you want a Big Mac. Do you need a Big Mac? And I'm like, yeah. It's, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. I need, I need a Big Mac. I need it. I'm not do you want, I need it. She's like, don't, and this, this is like where group people travel. <laughs> she just goes, sometimes you just feel like you need a Big Mac. I go, no, but right now I feel like that. I do, I need one. And so I ate one in about three seconds and then I regretted it for the entire trip. I was like, someone shot me, you know, with a dart and it was just that slow motion, you know what I'm talking about, Brr, you know, that kind of, it just, you're about to get to a place if you haven't already, where you're going to see ads and you're going to say to yourself, and someone will say to you, a very clever advertising person, and someone next to you will say, do you need that? And you're going to say, yes, I need that. It'll make me happy. I want you to try out a phrase. I make I did this last year and you're going to start learning it and you're going to say, you're going to work on it with your own kids. When my kids see something on TV, generally it's a, it, it, there's a pattern here. It's a stuffies, a stompies, or a snackies, anything ending in ease, somehow, evidently. But it comes on the screen, and they look at me, and they look, they, before they can say anything, I go, you guys, say it, say it, say it. And they go, what? I go, I don't need that. I go, just say it, you have to say, you have to say this, you have to say, I don't need it. And they go, I don't need that. But that, no, no, say it, look at the TV and say, I don't need that because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus okay because this is what we're gonna get to right here right this is what we're talking about I don't need that I don't need it now you're gonna try and say it right now because it's so good for the kids to say that we need them to say that it's good for you to say okay just say it right now I don't need that on the count of three I don't need that ready one two three say it you did not mean that at all when you see the buy one, get one shoe sale with the cute little boots, with the heel on the strap and the little decorative thing on the front, it's so cute. What do you say? <laughs> I need that. Someone said that over here. Shame. Okay, guys, let me just, I'm going to do that exact same one again, okay? Guys, this, that was the low ball. That was like the slow pitch for you to hit out of the park. You don't, guys, <laughs> you don't need that. Now, some of you women might have a little diff- more difficult time making generalizations there, but let's just assume, guys, you can say that with a lot of force, okay? So we're all going to say that again, but I expect it to be a lot more meaningful than I don't need that, okay? You with me? Now, when you see the shoe sale, it's a buy one, get one free shoe sale for those cute boots, a little low rise, a little strap, and a little buckle, and all that kind of stuff, and all that. What do you say? Yes! When you see the big screen television, whoops. With the 4K resolution, and it's got such 3D kind of features that when you're watching a boxing match, you actually get punched. <laughs> what do you say? Yes. When you see that phone with the laser beam and the, and the spoon and the pocket knife and the car jack and everything else that you need for your life, and the cooler, and the sandwich maker, all built into one, that phone. You look at the TV and you say, yeah. When you see that convertible, oh, or that truck, guys. And it's those people who are probably empty nesters. 
who are without any concern or care in the world. They're Julie Andrews in a field in the sound of music next to a truck or a convertible, and they're spinning around. The hills are alive. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I want that life. And they're saying you can buy it. You will look at the television. You will say, <laughs> Now someone told me in the office, this is important, I need to say this one. I was asking people in our office, I was like, now, what are some things that you just, if you had all the money in the world, this cracks me up. All the money, you could, just, you could just have it. Money's no object. What's the one thing? And she goes, well, there's this one. I've never heard of this. <laughs> there's this one product I've seen on TV, which is a good way to start anything you really want that's going to change your life, by the way, right? <laughs> and it's like a hair removal system. And you like rub it on your face. Or she's literally doing this on my face. And it's called the no-no. And she's describing the feet. It like laser beams your, your, your hair and then it makes it small and it's just invisible and it's like. When you see the magical hair removal system <laughs> called the no-no, is there not a better indicator already that you should not buy this thing? <laughs> called the no-no that you're going to rub all over your face or wherever you don't want unwanted hair, whatever that is, you will look at the television and you will say, no-no. You will say, I have everything I need. I don't need it. Because if you don't need it, you've removed yourself from the idea of entitlement ever so slightly. Which means you can be a grateful person, which means you can find in your own heart God's will for your life. I don't need it. I'm not entitled to it. I don't need it. I have everything I need. And so you can say thank you. Here's what it says in Psalm 100. Some of you might have memorized this passage. Psalm 100 says this, Shout to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Side note, this is part of the reason why we sing. Some of you have this, remember, God's will for your life, gratitude, thankfulness. When we show up on Sunday morning, part of the reason why we sing comes from this passage. Because remember that grateful, gratefulness is God's will for your life. Singing songs with gladness, that's God's will for your life. Some of you have the interpretation, like they have a really good band, and then it's just kind of, it's kind of background music while I get my coffee. And whatever. Love that that's maybe an ancillary benefit, but let's just say that the reality of what we're doing here is to aim us at God in thankfulness. That's why we sing. It's just more fun to set it to music, Okay? Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. He's our shepherd. Then look at this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, if you read our compass note, which some, like, you know, my mom does and a couple other people read it. There's like a few people who really, I get some emails from some of you, but I talked about this. There is a password into God's presence. We have passwords for everything. You're told to now have passphrases because your ordinary password, which is different in every single thing that you, you know, every single online thing, it's all different. Every one of them is all different, right? Every password you have, you don't have the same one ever, right? Never, because we all do that, right? They're all supposed to be different. They're all passwords because they give us access to the most important stuff. You enter his gates with this password, thank you, thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise, 
entering into God's presence starts with gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's research at um, UC Davis and Harvard as well that said there is unbelievable, remarkable benefits to people who regularly practice the art of thanksgiving. That all it would say, they had, they, there's, I'll show you this statistic, or this quote, let's see if I have it right here. Oops, there's Psalm 5. We should finish the verse. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. Look at this, look at this, Time Magazine. Among those who are more spiritual, that's you. Religious thankfulness or gratitude toward God can predict, susceptibi- can predict susceptibility to mental illness. Meaning if you don't have this, check this out. In a recent study, those who are most spiritually thankful had a lower risk of depression, anxiety disorder, phobias, bulimia, and addictions, including alcohol, nicotine, and illegal drugs. That's it. And the way, that they, the way they overcame these addictions, they wrote down three things for 30 days. That's it. That was part of their therapy. Write down before you go to bed, just write down three things you're thankful for. But I'm an addict. Everything's horrible. Nothing's going my way. I know. Find three things you're thankful for. Three things. You will rightly orient your heart toward God. You will rightly orient your heart towards this season. Now, here's what I want you to do. You might have a pen. If you have a phone, type it in your phone. Get your note application. I want you to write three things. I'm going to give you my three things right now. They do not have to. Get a pen out. Get ready. You're going to write. So get ready. You're looking at me like, is he really serious? Yes, I'm serious. Okay, this is actual, this is actual participation, classwork. Okay, here we go. Now, these are the things I'm thankful for. And they're not huge, but these are the first things I thought of today. I'm thankful that I got to go to a really good football game with my son yesterday. I don't, I don't know why that's doing that. I don't know what that is, but that's someone's back. I'm thankful for that person's back, that they're looking this way. I'm thankful, I, I'm, I am thankful that my team won. I'm thankful for that. And to be honest, I'm thankful, you know, we, my, my son and I skipped his all-important, all-important worshipful soccer game to go do this together. I am so grateful for that time. I'm thankful. Wow. Not to clap, but that's right. Now listen. You have to write three things you're thankful for. They don't have to be huge. They don't have to make you... I wasn't expecting these emotions. They don't have to make you cry. They just have to be honest. You can be thankful that you got another... You can start writing right now. I'll just give you some ideas if you're stumped, because I'll give you a few. If you're sitting next to someone you're married to, you're thankful for them, because they're going to check your list to make sure that's number one on your list. <laughs> just write, I'm thankful for my spouse. I'm thankful for them. Even if you're not right now, write it down anyways. <laughs> if you're thankful that you got to get up and breathe another day, if you're thankful that you got to be with someone else who is sick, and you're, think- you're thankful that they got to have another day, day with you there's a reason to say thank you if you're looking at your own life and you're going my gosh i'm just so glad i have a car that has a radio in it that's enough if you're thankful that you have you have a kid if you're thankful that you got a meal before you if you're thankful that you you are you have so many calories in your life that you actually can skip meals that's a reason to be thankful you're about to have thanksgiving dinner There's going to be a lot of calories there. Thank you. Write three things. Do it for the next several days. I would, I actually think it'd be great. Here's what I want you to do. Some of you guys who are like media savvy, write your three things, 
post them online. Let's share them with each other. What are you thankful for? All right? Now, here's what I want you to do. The way that this whole thing, the way we kind of got through in Psalm 100 is this. The way you respond in thankfulness is you sing. You sing. Now, here's the deal. Don't sing and don't do one of these. I'm so thankful, just so thankful in my quiet little heart. I want you to sing loud. Get out and sing. Be grateful. You're saying to the whole, you're shouting back the world. It says, you need, you need. What you're saying is, no, 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 I don't need it. I'm thankful. Are you with me? Three of you are with me. Okay. Are you with me? All right, stand up. The band's coming up here. They got to hustle because they're expecting longer time. They expected me to do a long, drawn-out prayer, which I did not do because you're going to sing the prayer. All right? So here we go. You need me to move this up for, for you? Sorry. All right.